Welcome to Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. Celebrate food and life by learning about the culinary scene around the world. Speaking with chefs, artists, and food makers, farmers, authors, and tastemakers who are passionate about everything delicious. A very good Sunday to you, food lovers. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. This show brings you fresh ingredients, recipes, and kitchen wisdom from celebrity chefs and authors, trendsetters, and culinary experts. It is true culinary exploration every Sunday because I'm all about delectable dishes, exquisite gastronomic experiences. I love to travel for food. I like to keep up with fitness. And so if it's rich or savory or just downright delicious, well, then you're going to hear about it right here. Spring is heating up and we are cooking for the change of the seasons. And you can find incredible inspiration, or I hope at least you think so, at chefjamie.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen. Stay tuned for a full hour of delicious conversation. Coming up later in the hour, we will be joined by April Bloomfield of The Spotted Pig, the New York City hotspot, of course. She's cooking hearty meals from the garden. Plus, Jan Miller is sharing the Better Homes and Gardens complete canning guide. So if you love to preserve, then that conversation will be for you. And Dr. Lauren Cordain, credited with the creation of the paleo movement, has recipes for the paleo gourmet. Please stay tuned. So this past week, I whipped up a few dishes with the remainder of things from our fridge, and my husband was very impressed. I love when he is, in fact. In a matter of probably 20 minutes, I had a coconut chicken soup on the stove, I had pomegranate chicken thighs roasting in the oven, and a lamb shoulder chop, which I found in the back of the fridge, braising with white wine and vegetables like my mom says my grandmother used to make it. And you could call them leftovers, or you could call it how to use it up. But I heard this fabulous phrase of late, and I adopted it. It's all about extending the table. And it follows the same format as my mom taught me, which is waste not, want not. So when I asked my husband earlier in the week, what should I talk about At the beginning of my show, he said, you should talk about the leftovers. So in the interest of wasting less, spending less, and eating more, think about what you had for dinner last night or the night before. Maybe you roasted a chicken, but you didn't do full justice to the chicken. Did you use the chicken carcass and simmer it to make a rich, beautiful, nourishing soup? Well, I like the challenge of saving the last bits of onion after you dice a sweet yellow onion or the last few limp carrots that are in the produce bin or the center leaves of the celery instead of tossing those things into the garbage or even into the compost. And I think we can all do something really good for the planet and for our prosperity if we saved more and used it up, like the heels of the loaf of bread that you bought. Did you make breadcrumbs? Well, you could have. Or you can dry them out in the oven, toast them, grind them, add some Italian seasonings, and you could have made Italian breadcrumbs. And if you take the extra minute, you'll feel better about the other things that we all throw away. Now, reusing leftovers is not a punishment. (laughs) I think it's a chance to be creative. And I hope that I inspire you 
to use it all up as an act of thankfulness. So here are some amazing meals that you can make from leftovers today. Like let's say that you cooked a pound of dry pasta and you have some left that was cooked and in a Ziploc bag in the fridge. Well, you make a spaghetti frittata. Spaghetti for breakfast? Oh, yes. Because at Hugo's in Los Angeles, which is where I grew up, they make this signature pasta dish called Pasta Mama. And it's leftover spaghetti with beaten eggs and lots of Parmesan cheese, quickly sauteed. And it's so delicious. And it works for lunch or for dinner. And you pump up the protein value with the eggs, or you could throw in some veggies for good measure. And you fry it in a pan and voila. Now, let's say you have leftover bread from a celebration or a party. It could make it its appearance in a savory bread pudding where you sauteed a bunch of shiitake mushrooms or maybe a panzanella salad with the bread cubes and lots of colorful veggies and a big handful of greens. Maybe you have leftover pizza. What to do? Okay, wait till you hear this. You make pizza croutons. Yes, leftover pizza cut into bite-sized pieces, toasted in the oven on a cookie sheet, pumps up a tomato soup like you've never seen before. And then maybe you have leftover rice. You made a big batch of rice. What to do with the cooked rice or that that you brought home from the Chinese restaurant? Well, you make coconut rice pudding. You use up brown or white rice leftover from dinner and you use coconut milk or the low fat style and you make this rich, luscious, delicious dessert or you make veggie fried rice or in the Italian style, you make arancini, right? The rice balls that are usually made from leftover risotto and you stuff a piece of mozzarella cheese inside and then you fry them and they're oh so good. Maybe you have leftover chicken or turkey. Well, you make a club salad where you use all the best of a club sandwich piled on a big beautiful bowl of greens, or you make uh, leftover chicken or turkey pot pie. Now, maybe you have leftover steak. You grilled a bunch of ribeyes today and come tomorrow, what are you going to do? Well, you make steak tacos or steak tortillas, or you could make lettuce wraps, of course, or you have leftover pork. You roasted a pork tenderloin. Well, you cube it up and you make leftover pork nachos. Everything, by the way, tastes good in the form of a nacho. Now, let's say that you're faced with a plateful of veggies from a leftover party, right? You bought that veggie crudite. There's only one thing left to do, by the way, and that is pickle. Yes, pickles are hotter than ever. One of my forecasted food trends for 2015, and it's pretty simple. Stay tuned. We're going to talk about canning in just a minute. Or maybe you roasted a whole beautiful side of salmon. What to do? Well, you make a nice bowl of chowda, right? You add your favorite veggies and you've got this really beautiful, filling, luscious bowl of goodness. Okay, so that used it up. You'll find lots more leftover inspiration at chefjamie.com, along with a couple of other features you won't want to miss, like my Think Like a Chef feature. And that is, of course, my goal every week to make you a better cook in your own kitchen, to arm you with knowledge that will make you an extraordinary culinary hero. And this week's Think Like a Chef is all about understanding organics. 
We're all about clean eating, but the growth of organic produce and chicken and meat can be very complicated when it comes to understanding the labels. We see organic on everything from bunches of bananas to cartons of milk to bars of chocolate, right? But what does organic mean? Well, I'll tell you everything you need to know about the health benefits, what the labels mean, what cage-free and grass-fed and no added hormones actually translates to. So check it out. It's at chefjamie.com. There's a couple of other things I hope you won't want to miss as well. My new twist on fried chicken, tender, juicy chicken breast crusted with the textural panko crumbs we all love and then pan fried and drizzled with that one ingredient wonder that is truffle honey. I've posted as my weekly dish, my crispy truffle honey chicken to go along with it as the truly sweet recipe this week. It was so spring inspired. I couldn't help it. A strawberry shortcake with buttermilk biscuits, really traditional and truly delicious. And then of course the seasonal recipe is to inspire you to make curd, the custard-like dessert sauce that has that wonderful tart flavor. You can use oranges or passion fruit pulp. You can make lemon curd or even key lime curd. And I have a seven-minute recipe you will want to add to your signature recipe box. Plus, there's a cocktail you'll love. The local movement in Ojai, California, of course, is producing pixie tangerines that are so delicious eaten out of hand. And I have a pixie tangerine mint spritzer that definitely will allow you to toast spring. Plus the recipe you heard on the radio coming up in just a little bit, white balsamic rosemary pickled mushrooms. Oh, so good. And please stay tuned because we do have grand guests coming up in your radio. She is April Bloomfield of the New York City hotspot, The Spotted Pig, and her new cookbook, Cooks from the Garden. Plus, we are sharing the complete canning guide just released from Better Homes and Gardens so that you can ferment and preserve and make jam like a pro. And we have recipes for the paleo gourmet. So there's more delicious conversation in your radio food and wine with me, Chef Jamie Gwen, back in just minutes. Chef Jamie Gwen, in your radio, you've heard me say it before, we do have the most grand guests on this program, and April Bloomfield has an extraordinary reputation. Her restaurants are Michelin-starred. Her dedication is known and respected throughout the industry, but she is one of only a few high-profile chefs who is seldom seen on TV and rarely gives interviews. And I cannot tell you how flattered I am to be able to share with you April Bloomfield's most recent success. From the chef, restaurant owner, and the author of the critically lauded A Girl and Her Pig comes a beautiful new cookbook that offers really tantalizing, beautiful recipes for a wide variety of vegetables, from the summer standbys we love like zucchini to the earthy novelties like sunchokes. And the book is entitled A Girl and Her Greens, and it's the lighter side of this renowned chef's 
incredibly talented career and her uh, nearly synonymous name with nose-to-tail eating. Her pot-roasted Romanesco broccoli looks so good, and I can't wait to make the carrots with spices, yogurt, and orange blossom water. And it's her beautiful, simple, honest food and her attention to detail and her love for the pleasure of cooking that comes through. I am delighted to welcome April Bloomfield back to the radio with hearty meals from the garden in her new book entitled A Girl and Her Greens. April, I'm so glad to have you. Thank you. Hi, Jamie. How are you doing? (laughs) Doing well. And you? Good, thank you. Busy cooking, I know. Um, Share with us the journey of this new book, because very different than the style that you've been known so long for, and that is hearty, wonderful proteins and beautiful preparations. Yeah, I basically, you know, I'm I'm known for cooking a lot of pork and lots of alcohol and meat. Um, I think people that dine at the Spotted Pig um, actually know that I'm I'm very good, or I, you know I love cooking vegetables, um, and I think you only know that if you come to the Spotted Pig or the Breslin, uh, say. Um, so I really wanted to kind of follow on from a girl and her pig and write uh, a vegetable-focused uh, book hmm. uh, and just really show people, you know, that I do have a love for vegetables. I really understand them, and you know, to help the person that might be a little bit um, worried about cooking vegetables and just to show that they're, you know, they're actually really approachable and uh, very easy once once you get stuck in. I love the introduction because it, to me it just sums up who and what you are as a chef, as a cook, as a culinarian. You say, and I quote, vegetables have some practical advantages over meat. For example, animal flesh often needs to be cooked softly. You're not going to braise an artichoke for five hours. I love this idea of the the beauty of vegetables and their simplicity. Yeah, and that's the great thing about vegetables. They're very versatile, and um, I really wanted to kind of showcase that in, in, in the book. So we have a wide range of vegetables, and there's a few that have many pre- preparations. You know, I have a lovely roasted fennel salad um, in the book. It's a raw and roasted fennel salad. So you get to appreciate the fennel in two, two stages. And they both give us different flavors um, and, and a uniqueness in, in each preparation. And, and having that salad and having it combined all in one really um, showcases that vegetable really well. I happen to be a fennel lover, April, I have to say. And I love when you talk about it. Oh, so delicious. When it's raw, you speak about it with its soft crunch. When you boil the fennel, you say it really comes out to say hello. Um, there, There is a textural difference to it that lends itself so beautifully to different uh, methods and preparations. I know we can often find you at the farmer's market because you say before you cook a vegetable, of course, you have to shop uh, before you cook anything for that matter. So give us some some tips or take us on a stroll through the farmer's market for spring. What are you looking for? Well, okay, that's a good question. Um, When I go to the market, I try and be really swift, uh, especially (laughs) in my first run around and then my second run around. You know, you really want to kind of get there uh, before, you know, the crowds get there um, because it can be a little daunting. Um, You know, and just kind of when you get there, really walk through quite briskly. Um, You know, you really kind of want to get a wiggle on, you know, move move a little bit and just be really observant. And, and, 
just look and see what catches your eye. Go over and if the farmer lets you taste, you know, feel, you know, feel free to taste. It's the only way you're going to train your palate and, and really kind of figure out what, what you like. Um, the other thing is once you've done your walkthrough, um, go back uh, and go to those specific farms, um, you know, that you really liked and what drew, you know, what drew your attention. Um, but doing it swiftly and uh, a little bit faster than your average person will help you just um, grab those opportunities, you know, because things do get kind of grabbed up really fast. Very good inspiration. I love your affiliation with um, the father of head-to-tail eating, a very dear friend of yours I know, Fergus Anderson of St. John. Um, and his restaurants, I have fond memories as much as I do of sitting at the bar at the Spotted Pig. And I know you have a, a food exchange program with him. I'd love to know about it. Yeah, um, you know, we've been doing it for a couple of years. We've, we've missed a couple of, of last ones. But, um, <laughs> yeah, he's he's a really great guy, and uh, I respect him very much. He, he, he just cooks from the heart. He's one of those guys that is all soul. And, hmm. you know, I feel like we're kind of, um, you know, kindred spirits, really. Uh, we really love simple but punchy, delicious, uh, well-sourced uh, food, really. And so he's spearheaded for so many years, nose-to-tail eating. And then in your new book, All About Greens, you talk about top-to-tail. Have you? Are you spearheading the new movement, April? Well, Top-to-tail. Well, I don't know if it's a new movement. I mean, I've been doing it for a very long time, Um you know, just kind of using the whole vegetable is really important. And actually, a lot of people don't know that you could probably eat, you know, that you can actually eat uh, carrot tops. Um, so, you know, we do an amazing dish at the Breslin. Uh, we get burrata uh, from Italy, hmm. which is basically a mozzarella that's stuffed. It's kind of like a little um, kind of envelope of creme fraiche and mozzarella all chopped up. Uh, with roasted carrots, and then the carrot tops we get, we get our carrots from the market. We uh, we make a carrot pesto, so you're not wasting any of the the, the product that's coming in, and it really adds a very great earthiness um, to to the dish. So yeah, any any tops, don't throw those away. You know, the turnip bottoms, use the tops. You know, um, fry them up or or blanch them up, and then fry them with a little bit of garlic and some some chili. Uh, maybe a splash of vinegar, you know, it's, it's kind of an awesome all-in-one dish. Yeah, that it is. Inspiration from April Bloomfield. I can't wait to make steamed eggplant with ground pork and Thai basil as well. <laughs> Your Szechuan style. You know, I like that dish because, um, you know, normally you you uh, fry or you fry the eggplant. And actually, in this recipe from a girl and her greens, I like to um, I like to steam it so it's a little less greasy, um, and uh, I don't know the purple really kind of pokes out of the eggplant a little, mm. and just again like fortifying that really delicious creamy eggplant with a little bit of pork um, and some garlic, uh, you mm. know, is, is the most wonderful thing, and it's very comforting. I think everything you make is a most wonderful thing. I have to tell you, I have wonderful food memories of uh, dining at your restaurants in New York City and very much look forward to coming back. Congratulations on the new book, just set to release 
from April Bloomfield, the executive chef and co-proprietor of the New York restaurants The Spotted Pig, The Breslin Bar and Dining Room, The John Dory Oyster Bar, Salvation Taco, and San Francisco's Tusca Cafe. Her New York restaurants have earned Michelin Guide stars. She has been honored uh, by every culinary authority as Best New Chef from Food and Wine to the coveted James Beard Foundation Award for Best Chef New York City. And she cooks nose to tail and now top to tail or for many years and is now sharing her secrets. A Girl in Her Greens, Hearty Meals from the Garden, the cookbook just released. Check it out. April, uh, again, I thank you very much for taking the time, for sharing your passion. I wish you continued success and we will continue to watch you. Thank you. And thank you so much for inviting me on the show. Yeah. Thank you again for your time. She is April Bloomfield. Bye-bye. And the biggest names do stop by here. For more delicious conversation in your radio, stay tuned. We'll be right back. Every Sunday is a culinary exploration. Welcome back. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Whether you grow your own produce in your backyard, you're a loyal patron at the local farmer's market or a member of a CSA, there are so many wonderful reasons to put it up, as we call it. You can can fruits and vegetables all throughout the year to lengthen the shelf life of food, to preserve the wonderful flavors, and of course, to save some bucks. There is a new canning guide out by Better Homes and Gardens that will give you the basics of everything you need to know from freezing and drying to preserving fresh and flavorful food year-round. And it is called just that, the Complete Canning Guide. It's filled with lots of wonderful methods and preparations and lots of farm-fresh recipes. I'm all about pickling everything. And so I can't wait to dish once again with Jan Miller. She's the executive editor at Better Homes and Gardens, and she joins us live. I'm glad to have you back, Jan. Welcome. Thank you. Yes, nice to be here. Of course. Okay. Are you as hot on, on pickled everything as I am? We see the trend across the country, no doubt, in restaurants and home kitchens. And when I think of canning, I think of jams and jellies and the fact that my mom always used up the strawberries. And then I think of escabeche and a cucumber made into a pickle of every variety. Yes, you're right. Pickles are everywhere and everything from a quick pickle to our canned and processed pickles. But uh, the other thing that is so related to that, which is growing, 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 and we have finally touched our toe in that area, is fermentation, too. And so there's some fun fermented recipes in here. There's fermented pickles. There's a fermented sriracha sauce and a fermented mustard, which I really like because it has a little bit of effervescing in your mouth as you uh, eat it. I love that. That's the beauty of fermentation is that sort of essence of like carbonation of sorts, right? The, The fizz, like a pop rock, the candy we used to remember, that it excites your tongue a little bit. That makes me think of kimchi for sure. Um, but let's yes, start at the be- here too. That, I was going to say that's there. I'm sure. Um, let's start at the beginning. The basics. There are five rules of canning that are tried and true, 
And as you say in the book, they ensure success. So can you give us the lowdown? Absolutely. Let me go through pretty quickly here. Know which canner to use. And that just means know whether you need to use a boiling water canner versus a pressure canner. And those foods that are low acid, I think of a green bean. If you're going to can a green bean straight up, you need a pressure canner so that it gets hot enough to keep that food safe. If your acid level is high, you can just use a boiling water canner. Um, The next one was choose the right jar. And that's so easy today because you can buy canning jars in the grocery stores. Mm -hmm. Just don't use those um, old heirloom jars that maybe have the wire closure tops. We just aren't sure how safe those are in your canners anymore, and they don't feel all that great. Okay. I want to go back for just a moment. Once you choose the right jar and you've planned which method, there is a shortcut method to canning. And it is one that doesn't require the water bath, but I always mention that you must put those jars directly into the refrigerator, right? If you're not using any sort of hot water or pressure method, like you make a quick jam with the leftover kumquats and you put it into the jars and you turn the jars over once they're sealed well, and they either do or do not get that clear seal where it doesn't pop the vacuum right and if whether you've you know gotten the seal or not if you store those jars in the fridge then you can do the quick canning method do you believe that's correct accurate safe i i do okay because that's the same thing with like a quick pickle i you know put those in the refrigerator and save them for you know three to six months uh, and also, if you ever have a partial jar of something, ah, don't ever try to smart. process a partial jar. Just put that in the fridge and eat that right away. It just gives you a good excuse to eat something right away. Yeah, <laughs> yes, it does. Okay. Awesome. Always love a shortcut. Okay, so we've chosen the proper method and the right jars. What's next? Make sure that you use um, the right the lids. And, and there's a variety of manufacturers, but there's not a ton of manufacturers. So you want to use the lids that lid that has the sealing compound and so it's like a little silver disc and then the screw bands it used to be if you remember my i remember my grandmother made jelly and she would pour paraffin wax on Mm -hmm. the top of the jelly to Mm -hmm. seal the jelly and we don't do that anymore we use the lids to also make sure you get the vacuum seal so when you push down on the lid it shouldn't pop back at you it should say suck down from that vacuum and then you know you've got a good seal then of course we can choose from a bevy of recipes in this new book. And the recipes are ever evolving for canning, for jams and jellies and pickles, right? I mean, you create your own perfect palate pleasure. You do. You do. And that is one of the things I'm most excited about this book, because I like that we were able to be creative with flavor combinations. So if you, you know, if you're want to make a plain old peach jam that's fine we did put that in here but then we also did sweet basil peach jam and Mm. bourbon peach jam Mm. and chipotle peach jam so that you could stretch a little bit but we do say try to stay within the formula of the recipe so that because it takes the right amount of fruit uh, and sugar and pectin in the case of a jam for it to set and you shouldn't double a recipe you should make a recipe twice Right, so, so single batch. Some, yes. Yes, very important. Those are good tips. And then keep it clean and hot, you say. And that's something that I always remember my mom doing is she always washed the jars and then at the end she always kept them clean as well. And I do the same. Same 
the sterilized jar sounds scary, but it's really not meant to be. It's like, you know, put a jar in, a, in boiling water and then to keep them safe, don't pull, don't pull them all out at the same time. Fill a jar one at a time. So take it out of your hot water and put it on your counter and then fill that, put the lid on it, and then you're ready to go. So do them one at a time. So we know the basics. Now let's get to the good stuff. What is your favorite butter? Is it the curried carrot butter? Because I have to tell you, I cannot wait to make that with a big log of goat cheese and crostini. Oh, yes. <laughs> I do love that because you know what? It's a, got an unexpected flavor uh-huh. profile. You know, there's a little coconut uh, milk in there too mm. and a little lime juice. And so it is it is unique and it's beautiful. And it and like just like you said, little toasted bread and goat cheese and you can't go wrong. Um, the other one that I do like, there's a, a honey peach. And so later this summer when you have really nice ripe peaches, there's a honey um, peach butter that's yummy too. Oh, so good. I love the idea of a butter, a spread made from fruits or vegetables. It has no butter in it, but it has that wonderful mouth feel, right? And uh, yes. the brown yes. sugar vanilla banana butter looks beautiful. Ooh. <laughs> So yummy. Can't wait for that. And you one. don't think about bananas very often, but no. it's, it really is a treat. Jan, we're going to continue to can when we come back. Better Homes and Gardens Complete Canning Guide has just released. We'll put it up more after this. As the delicious conversation continues, Jan Miller in your radio of Better Homes and Gardens as we cover the release of the complete canning guide. Um, Jump to fermenting, if you would, because you alluded to it, and there's no doubt that it is a hot topic. Um, What is the difference by definition of pickling versus fermenting as far as the process is concerned? Pickling, you really are just taking your vegetable or uh, fruit, because certainly we pickled fruit, and you're pouring your, your brine liquid over that in the jar and then processing it right away, and you're done. With fermenting, you are relying on some good bacteria that's naturally present to feed off of some sugars, and um, in, but you also have to have a certain level of salt in that solution as well to help control so that you only grow the good bacteria. That is really what is so key about fermenting is don't mess around with the salt levels. That's what helps you stay safe. And it, those good bacteria do their thing, and sometimes it grows a little stuff on the surface uh-huh. that maybe be, might seem alarming, <laughs> but it's still okay. And we try to give you all the... Um, all the uh, reassurance along the way that it's going to be okay. And and those flavors are amazing. I think uh, the idea of canning is so much fun. And so I'm dedicated to spring and summer canning and using it all up. And I will be using your new book. Yes, it is, of course, from the editors at Better Homes and Gardens, who you have relied upon for more than 80 years, the dedication, the expertise, all of it combined with the Better Homes and Gardens seal of approval, of course. The new book is entitled 
the complete canning guide. And it's actually a binder that will allow you to utilize the recipes. And it's really a comprehensive one, Jan. So congratulations to you. I'm excited to use it and to share it. And a pleasure to have you once again on the radio. Thanks so much. I enjoyed it. Of course. I'm glad you did. We've excerpted a recipe at chefjamie.com from the complete canning guide for freezing, preserving, drying, and more from Better Homes and Gardens. Stay tuned because there's more delicious conversation in your radio right after this. Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen, in your radio as the delicious conversation continues. For Dr. Lauren Cordain, the paleo concept began in 1987 when he read Dr. Boyd Eaton's scientific paper, Paleolithic Nutrition, in the New England Journal of Medicine. It was a defining moment for his career, and it set him on a quest that became his life's work. Since that time, Dr. Cordain has been credited as the founder of the paleo diet, and we've seen it go completely mainstream, an explosion, in fact, for those that want to eat well and live well. The problem, though, he says, is that many of the sources are often poorly informed. And so in the release of his cookbook and manuscript, I think, of wonderful education, The Real Paleo Diet Cookbook, he is correcting the misinformation and providing lots of scrumptious recipes for what I call the paleo gourmet. Dr. Lauren Cordain is the world's foremost authority on the evolutionary basis of diet and disease, and he joins us live. I'm glad to have you. Hi, Lauren. Hi, Jamie. Thanks for the wonderful introduction. (laughs) Yes, of course. Okay, if you would, break it down for us, because if there is all this misinformation out there, what defines the paleo diet, and what do we need to know? Well, that was a very good question, and you know, I've been involved in this from the very get-go, as you had mentioned. Uh, I've been fortunate enough to, I started off doing scientific papers, and my wife actually convinced me to write my first book, The Paleo Diet, and I coined the term The Paleo Diet in 2002 with the publication of that book. And so <clears throat> the information in that book and my subsequent books uh, basically follows the science that I published in peer review uh, literature. So uh, I, I bring to the table the expertise of having studied the world's hunter-gatherers and looking at the nutritional characteristics in their diet. And I think that since paleo has gotten to be so big is that uh, many people that write popular books on paleo diets and cookbooks and what have you uh, haven't done their homework and they haven't read the scientific papers. So uh, that's the difference. And in this new cookbook, uh, we correct some of the common mistakes. Like people use sea salt uh, in many of the recipes. People use legumes. People use dairy products. Uh, people even create these pseudo cookies and fudge brownies and cakes and, and God knows what else with, uh, you know, multi. Uh, multiple ingredients uh, that really aren't very paleo at all. So that's what we bring to the plate uh, with this book. And uh, the photographs are just absolutely tantalizing. And I can tell you that the recipes taste every bit as good as the <laughs> photos look. That, that, that's a good thing to know that you taste tested. The photos are beautiful. It's a, it's a really... 
I think, illustrious cookbook because it offers not only the recipes uh, broken down, I think, very relatable, but also there's a lot of comprehensive information about the foundation of this lifestyle because I hate to call it a diet of what paleo is. That's a good point, Jamie. It's a a lifelong way of eating to uh, improve your health and reduce the risk of chronic disease. And that's always... Uh, how I've characterized it in all my books. And so I'm glad that, uh, you know, that information is getting out there. I wrote the introductions to all the chapters, and so I tried to bring the, the science of nutrition into it just enough to kind of pique people's interest. And uh, the recipes were created by professional chefs and cooks. And, mm-hmm. of course, uh, you know, I reviewed all the, the recipes to make sure that they had paleo ingredients. Congratulations to you. The book is getting wide acclaim once again. Uh, there is no doubt you have hit another home run, as those oh, experts you, in the field um, have acknowledged your dietary advice um, for so many years now, all compiled. And, of course, if you want to follow the true paleo diet, Dr. Lauren Cordain is credited with creating it, documenting it, and creating the worldwide phenomenon that is loved for its ease and simplicity and the fact that it does work for health and weight loss. You will find the new book release entitled The Real Paleo Diet Cookbook. It is written by Dr. Lauren Cordain, and you can find an excerpted recipe at chefjamie.com. Thank you for sharing your passion and your knowledge. We appreciate it, Lauren. Hey, thank you, Jimmy. It's my pleasure. And so that brings us to the end of another hour of gastronomic inspiration and delicious conversation. I hope that you enjoyed listening and that you'll find more that inspires you at chefjamie.com. I'll leave you with what I like to call my last bite. I always post this few ingredient recipe on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen. And I have to tell you, I high-fived myself when I made this recipe. Do you know how awkward that is, by the way, for a grown woman to high-five herself? But I have to say, this is the best shortcut ice cream I have ever made, which, by the way, contains neither ice nor cream. Now, I will tell you, I did not invent this recipe. I bettered it, and it was inspired by Modernist Cuisine's one-ingredient banana ice cream. I made peanut butter banana ice cream this week in the food processor, and it is my new favorite dessert. I'll tell you why. It's easy. It's insanely scrumptious. And by the way, it is so easy. And if those three reasons weren't enough, it is also dairy-free, gluten-free, and it has no added sugar. So here's what you need to do to make it and love it and tell a friend. You need three bananas, fresh and ripe, that you slice like you would for cereal and lay out on a baking sheet or a cookie sheet for that matter, and you put in the uh, freezer until they're solid, and then you can throw them into a Ziploc bag if you like and use them at a later date. Now, when you're ready to make peanut butter banana ice cream, you throw the frozen banana slices into the food processor. You add two tablespoons of all-natural, beautiful peanut butter and a pinch of kosher or sea salt, and you blend. And it takes a little while for it all to break down and come together, but you get this beautifully salty, full of banana, peanut buttery ice cream that is 
oh so good. You could scoop it into a bowl or you can eat it out of the food processor bowl like I do, of course. And once again, you'll find the recipe for my peanut butter banana ice cream on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen. Until next Sunday, I'll meet you at ChefJamie.com. I hope that I've inspired you to make delicious dishes this week. I thank you for listening. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen signing off. I hope you continue to eat well. Bye.